The scripture reading for tonight comes from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. When the days drew near for him to be received up, he sent his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But the people would not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to bid fire come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And he said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. How Yahweh disappoints the wrathful. That's what we're going to see Luke handling today. This passage, starting when the days drew near for him to be received up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, is a pivotal moment in St. Luke's Gospel. Up till now, Everything has been in the north, in what used to be the kingdom of Israel, the area around Galilee, Capernaum. And only now, at this point, is Jesus going to go south into Judah and Jerusalem. This is a key switch in Jesus' program. Just to remind you what's happened immediately before this. In the chapter before this, we've had the transfiguration. Jesus has revealed himself to his disciples as Yahweh coming into creation, utterly brilliantly white, who is then going to have to go down from the holy place to the altar in Jerusalem to perform the sacrifice. While Jesus is moving down the mountain, immediately you start to get signs of the disciples not getting it. So an argument arose amongst them as to which was the greatest. It's the first little bit of rivalry that St. Luke is commenting on here. And Jesus has to say, no, you're not going to get what's going on. You're not going to understand what I'm doing. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. 
and I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men and killed. If you really think that it matters which one of you is greatest, you fail to get it. Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Rather than your being able to stretch towards each other in an ambitious manner, you're going to have to learn to be stretched towards the irrelevant, the painfully unaware. That's the only way you're going to get my coming. John immediately says, Master, we saw a person casting out demons, but he was doing it in your name, but he's not one of us. Can we um, smite him? <laughs> Can we forbid him? Jesus said, no, no. If <laughs> Do not forbid him, for he that is not against you is for you. So immediately, please notice two sorts of rivalry. First of all, rivalry amongst the greatest, then rivalry as to the followers. As we come into this passage, we immediately get rivalry with the Samaritans. The people of Samaria would regard a Jew going on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem as someone who shouldn't be received. If they were just traveling, that would be fine. But if they were going as a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they should not be received. James and John, who don't seem to have learned anything from the previous exchange, immediately say, Lord, do you want us to bid fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. So do you see rivalry amongst the disciples, rivalry outside the disciples' group, and rivalry between Samaritan and Jew? Jesus is saying, no, not having any of this at all. You're not going to get me if you think in this way. Now let's look more closely at what's actually going on in this passage. It says, when the days drew near for him to be received up. It's a strange word. For him to be taken up. The taking up, it's the word which we normally translate as ascension as well. And it's the same word for the taking up of Elijah. You remember that? Do you remember the story of Elijah being taken up? After he's laid his mantle upon Elisha and he's carried up in the chariot of Israel and Elisha wants to get a double portion. Guess what? We're in the realm of rivalry <laughs> and ambition yet again. And just in case you think, how curious, well, there's a little inclusion here since at the very end no one he puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And you remember that the first thing that happens when uh, uh, Elijah comes to make Elisha his number two is that Elisha, Elijah lays his mantle upon Elijah. Uh, Elijah lays his mantle upon Elisha. Elisha says, oh good, yes, I'll come and follow you, but um, let me go home and uh, <laughs> burn my oxen and the, the yoke and make a feast for my family first. And so he does. He turns up a few chapters later after numerous things have gone on, and then he follows Elijah directly. Do you see the... <laughs> The little inclusion that's going on here. So, when the days drew near for him to be received up, he's going to ascend, 
Jesus is going to ascend. Before his ascension, he's going to be delivered up. Yahweh is arriving in a very strange way. Then it says, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. It's rather a specific phrase. And here we have the prophet Ezekiel. You can begin to get a sense here of why the two disciples immediately said, shall we cause fire to rain down? If you want to look up something after after today's homily, look up the end of Ezekiel chapter 20 and the beginning of Ezekiel chapter 21. Just to give you a little taste of it. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face towards the south. Preach against the south and prophesy against the forest land in the Negev. Say to the forest of the Negev, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will kindle a fire in you and it shall devour every green tree in you and every dry tree. The blazing flame shall not be quenched and all faces from south to north shall be scorched by it. All flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. So you see that James and John actually were, were, uh, they had a good sense of what was going on here. (laughs) Oh yeah, Yahweh's going south. Ooh, flame time. (laughs) Immediately after that, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward Jerusalem and preach against the sanctuaries. Prophesy against the land of Israel and say to the land of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you and will draw forth my sword out of its sheath and will cut off from you both righteous and wicked. Because I will cut off from you both righteous and wicked, therefore my sword shall go out of its sheath against all flesh from south to north. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, have drawn my sword out of its sheath. It shall not be sheathed again. Sigh, therefore, son of man, Sigh with breaking heart and bitter grief before their eyes. And when they say to you, why do you sigh? You shall say, because of the tidings. When it comes, every heart will melt and all hands will be feeble. Every spirit will faint and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it comes and it will be fulfilled, says the Lord God. Now do you see what Luke's doing? He's saying quite clearly at this point, Yahweh has appeared. The scriptures are being fulfilled. What Ezekiel said is being acted out. Remember that Ezekiel was the prophet of the return of God to the holy place and the building of the new temple. First of all, the exit of God from the temple. You remember that at the beginning of Ezekiel? And then the return of the Holy One to the new temple. And here we have the Holy One going back, creating the new temple. That's what his receiving up is going to be about because it's the ascension of the great high priest, which is the moment of the blessing, which is why at the very beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, remember when Jesus rises, he blesses on his way up. It's a vital, vital moment. And then there are the two angels standing beside the disciples, the cherubim from the holy place, indicating that the new temple is being born and it's 
everywhere and nowhere. So Yahweh is fulfilling what Ezekiel wrote. Yahweh is fulfilling what happened with Elijah. But he's doing it all off key. He's doing it all in such a way that the people who know those texts don't get it because he's not wrathful. That's what's scandalous. Not that he's Yahweh, but that Yahweh is not wrathful. He appears to be about to undergo wrath. So he sent messages ahead of him and who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But the people would not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. It's a bad translation. It actually just says that he, because he was going towards Jerusalem. The, the phrase face was set towards Jerusalem only comes at the beginning of this passage and it's a quite specific reference to Ezekiel. But here it's just saying his, because he was going to Jerusalem. It's just saying, yeah, the Samaritans, as is well known, didn't receive pilgrimage, pilgrims who were going to the wrong pilgrimage site from their point of view. So disciples James and John saw it. They said, oh yeah, we've got this Ezekiel bit. He set his face towards the south and surely this is the bit where the Negev gets, gets thumped. <laughs> he said, no, no, absolutely won't do it long. As they were going along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Okay, so we know that he's heading towards Jerusalem. We know he's heading towards the holy place, towards the temple, except that he's in fact going to be recreating an entirely new holy place. This is where we get a beginning of a sense of Jesus' style. At the same time, very grave and very humorous. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes. Ezekiel had a thing or two to say about foxes. He says, your prophets are like foxes inhabiting the ruins of the temple. Sometimes it's translated jackals. It's the same word in, in Greek is used to translate either foxes or jackals. We think of jackals as rather nastier than foxes. But anyhow, Ezekiel despises the prophets whom he regards as inhabiting the ruins of the temple like foxes. The birds, you remember the birds make nests in the temple. The swallows or the sparrows make nests in the temple while people sing the praises of God. So Jesus is saying, yeah, okay, you're going to follow me wherever I go, but are you going to be like a, a fox? <laughs> a pointless, vain prophet inhabiting the ruins of the temple? Or like just a bird? Or are you going to be someone who is actually worshipping in the temple? He says to the next person, follow me. But the Lord said, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Again, Ezekiel. Ezekiel in the new temple. Saying, the priesthood should have nothing to do with death. The new priest should have nothing to do with death. Because the new priest is risen. Is living the life of the kingdom already. So have nothing to do with death. Are you really going to follow me? If so, you will have nothing to do with death. You see what Jesus is doing? He's giving hints as to the nature of the new temple. 
that is going to be himself. And it's going to be rather different from what people think. His relationship to the Jerusalem that he's going to is going to be rather different than people think. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Reasonable enough. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, a little joke at the expense of Elisha, <laughs> who was pretty good on the, the wrath front, actually. You remember him and the bear coming out of the woods and various other stories. Elisha knew how to play with wrath. But here we have something very strange. Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, Yahweh refusing wrath, indicating, hinting that it's the rivalry of those who follow him, the rivalry within the group, the rivalry outside the group, the rivalry between groups, that is in fact what causes all this wrath that the temple which he is going to inaugurate is going to be the sort of temple which is beyond wrath where people who do not know death will serve as priests where people who have received the double spirit if you like are already prompt and ready to worship What does that mean for us? Are we builders of the new temple? Are we heading out of our forms of wrath, our inter-group wrath, our between-group wrath, <laughs> our even bigger forms of wrath? Are we discovering that Yahweh comes into our midst not as a expounder of or spreader of wrath but as one who is giving himself away giving himself up to death completely unfrightened of that having to take our imaginations out of their rivalry and their wrathfulness so, enabled, so as to enable us to become priests and worshippers in the real temple in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit.